Father, we do thank you for this day of rest. We pray that even as we come to begin our week, we would begin it in that rest. That Christ has purchased for us. Uh, use the Sunday school to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, young people, you can head out. And others, we are returning to our study of the cost of discipleship, and would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 25. Matthew 10, 16 through 25. And Bonhoeffer entitles this chapter, The Suffering of the Messengers. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. Someone go ahead and read that when you have it. Very first book in the New Testament. Sixteenth or tenth chapter of said book. So again, obviously this is this passage is instructing the disciples as they're going out that they are going to face suffering. They're going to face persecution. But I want us to set this again in the context of chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. Because I do think this is absolutely important. Jesus comes to Israel in their very darkest moment in their existence. They are completely politically powerless. They are under the boot of the Roman occupation and have no hope of ever getting out from underneath Roman occupation. 
the people of God, the covenant people of God, the church of God is filled with demons. They are demon-possessed. They are sick. Their own shepherds, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, hate the true shepherd. He comes in at their absolute darkest moment. In verse chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what was the response in all the villages teaching in the synagogues? What was every single response? Was he ever accepted in any of the synagogues? No. (laughs) He taught in all the synagogues, and what's left unsaid is, and was rejected in every single one of them. He faced rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, all the way to the ultimate rejection. Jesus faced rejection everywhere he went, and his response was, in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think that verse is absolutely central, not only to how we view the society around us, the cancer that is in our society today. And I don't think anybody can disagree. There is a cancer in our society. Are we threatened by it? Are we angry about it? Do we storm the gates of society? Or do we look with the eyes of compassion at people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And Christ looks at that chaos, he looks at that darkness, and he looks at it with compassion, and he sends his people out into that. And in sending them out, he's not saying it's all going to be beautiful. What's the response of the darkness when the light enters in? The darkness hates it. The darkness hates the light. And when the light comes in, when Christ sends his messengers in, bringing healing, notice what he's doing back in chapter 9. Healing every disease and every affliction. That is still the work of Jesus Christ today. Healing the disease of the mind and the affliction of the soul. Healing the diseases and the afflicted. Casting out the demons. He comes in with this generous generous gospel healing ministry and our response is to go, oh, it's a bunch of rules. Or, oh, I hate that. Or, oh, yet another big, long, boring thing. And to flee to somewhere else. Now, we are going to face that opposition and we face it not just in our society today. But, I was serving in another capacity in the church this week and was drawn, my my, my attention was drawn to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. 
of whom more are being slaughtered in Nigeria every year for their faith than all countries combined. China, where we all know the stories of secret service and crackdowns and imprisonments. Eritrea, this country in the middle of the desert, 2,527 Christians are currently imprisoned for their faith, and out of those, 37 pastors have been imprisoned for over 20 years. 37 pastors, the only thing they have to do to get out of prison is to say, I'll stop preaching. I promise. I'll submit. Over 20 years, 37 pastors in Eritrea have been imprisoned for their faith. We do face suffering. Now, here in the United States, by God's grace, we do not face suffering to any extent, which is why, frankly, everybody else wants to come. Uh, because it historically has been a place where we have the liberties and the freedoms to, to pursue various avenues and whatnot. Whether we're the land of freedom and opportunity or not, the fact is everybody wants to get here. <laughs> and the fact is that we see persecution of brothers and sisters in a very real and powerful way which is a lot more intense than whatever my inner angst is about whether my neighbor thinks I'm a nerd or whether my coworker thinks I'm going to lose my career or whatever. We've got brothers and sisters around the world that face suffering. And Bonhoeffer says, neither failure nor hostility can weaken the messenger's conviction that he has been sent by Jesus. And I think that is the core principle to hang on to. If we are put off by opposition, then it means we have no inner sense of this being a message from God. But if we are sent by Jesus then the response to the message of Jesus, the response to the message is a response to Jesus, not to us. And that's the whole point that he's making here. If, if, if I'm your master and they're rejecting me, <laughs> hey, knucklehead, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> they're rejecting me, don't you think they'll reject my emissaries? Uh, and, and he's been going from synagogue to synagogue, facing rejection and hostility everywhere he's gone throughout the land. And he says, this is what they're going to do for you. And the encouragement behind that, behind knowing that he is the one who has sent us, Bonover says, it is so that their word, that his word may be their strength, their stay, and their comfort. Jesus repeats it, Behold, I send you. And if we are going in his name and we face the same kind of response that he faced, 
This is absolutely to be expected. And then he gives this passage, therefore be wise as serpents. I'm sending you in the middle of wolves, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that's always the trick, isn't it? <laughs> wise as serpents, innocent as doves. The, 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 the balance between astuteness in Bonhoeffer's words, to be astute and simplicity. How do we interact in the workplace? How do we interact in society in a way that is wise as serpents and harmless as doves? Uh, a few years ago, uh, a, a, a teacher that I have a lot of respect for, and some of you may recognize the quote, but a few years ago, a teacher that I had a lot of respect for told a story about walking downtown one day, and someone approached him with a tract in their hand and said, are you saved? And he said, well, I'm not saved from you, uh, <laughs> which was a bit off-putting. Uh, <laughs> But the teacher then went and turned it into a, you know, a, a good gospel conversation. But, but there is something a bit, you know, I don't know if somebody has ever handed you a tract and it's, you know, it's typically you're in the middle of doing whatever you're doing. It's not, you know, it's not really opening a conversation, but there, there's a simplicity about that sort of thing that, that is, is just straightforward. And sometimes we feel guilty because we're not doing it. And then on the other hand, you know, the astuteness of realizing, well, if somebody just randomly handed me a tract, I'd be like, thanks for the trash or whatever. And, or, you know, I'm going about my business. I don't want to be uh, confronted, you know, in the middle of my shopping or whatever. It, it, it's that wise as serpents, harmless as doves. How do we navigate between those things? And so here's Bonhoeffer's point on this. Bonhoeffer says, Jesus never called his disciples into a state of uncertainty, but to one of supreme certainty. This is why his warning can only summon them to abide by the word. Where the word is, there the disciple shall be. Therein lies his true wisdom and his true simplicity. If the word is being rejected, the disciple must yield. If the word carries on in the battle, the disciple must also stand his ground. And I think that in, packed in that is a lot of wisdom that I often give to other men in ministry. Because it is easy to have your time in ministry, and I think this is true anywhere, but it's easy to have your time sucked up by something that is, prof, that is without profit or that has minimal profit. And, and it's easy when your time is sucked up in this one area that is of very little spiritual profit to ignore things that would be much more profitable. And, and we can do that online. Uh, I've seen a lot of young men, and I used to be one of them, that would spend hours and hours and hours crafting just the perfect response, nuanced carefully, to this theological proposition that was being laid forth on the online chat forum and I send my beautiful missive off into space, and the response is, yeah, no. And <laughs> they go, how much time am I wasting in this? 
and and that's a silly example, but but I certainly find it in pastoral conversations. How much time do I waste on somebody who clearly has stopped listening? Uh, and what what's the course of wisdom? And I think Bonhoeffer puts it forward very clearly here. If the word carries on in the battle, the disciple must stand his ground. If the word is rejected, the disciple must yield. And and that is where we focus in on Jesus Christ. So that if somebody is understanding what the word is, what the gospel is, what the truth is, if they're hearing with their ears and they're just going, nope, I'm not interested, then I too am not interested. Uh, I, I will I will try, I will, you know, when the spirit leads to conviction, but I can't. I cannot convict a soul. Uh, but but when the spirit moves through his word, and 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 this is this is Bonhoeffer goes on to say, there's a spiritual reality. Oh no, sorry, this is not Bonhoeffer. This is me. <laughs> that was an asterisk, not a quote. <laughs> there's a spiritual reality to our discipleship. A reality that takes place in the war between the serpent and the Lord. We are or the serpent and the lion. We are both the prize to the victor and the instruments of whichever master we serve. We are both the prize to the victor. You are either Satan's prize at the end of the day or you are the lion's prize. You stand with the serpent or you stand with the lion. You are the prize of one or the other. You're also the instrument of the warfare of one or the other. And that's our binary choice. That's the true choice that each and every one of us have to make every single moment, every single morning, every single day, every single time we get on the internet, every single time we put the key in our car, every single time we sit down for breakfast, every single time we sit down to relax. Uh, is is You are either the servant of one or no man can serve two masters. I mean, Jesus is clear about all this stuff. Uh, You're either the servant of the serpent and you're the instrument of the serpent. Or you're the servant of the lion and you're the instrument of the lion. And that's where our life is lived. That's where discipleship is. That's what discipleship is. That's the cost of of this discipleship. And and, uh, then Bonhoeffer comments, let me see, okay, I got a few minutes, Bonhoeffer comments on the, uh, on the passage, beware of men, uh, and, and what they will do to you, and I, I love this, I mean, again, remember, Bonhoeffer's speaking in the 1930s, and it sounds so countercultural in the 1930s, and it sounds so countercultural today. Bonhoeffer says, Jesus equips us with his insight into humanity. There is no gullibility here. The messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the divisions which rend cities and homes. And in our culture today, one of the big battlefronts in our culture wars is whether or not the fact that we are based upon imperfect application of Christian principles then means that we need to undermine all sense of Christianity and develop this absolutely new ethos. 
this new ethic. Uh, that's the cultural war that we're facing today, and Bonhoeffer addresses that in a completely different context, and he says, don't be stupid. Jesus says man is not neutral. Every time, everything I've been saying in Leviticus, or everything God's been saying in Leviticus, how does this leprosy come forth? It comes forth afresh every generation. The contamination every generation is fresh and new and horrible, but it's also every generation healed by Jesus Christ. And it's not the fault of your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your uncles twice removed that there is injustice in the world today. You know what the problem with the world is? You. Me. I'm the problem. And when we see that, when we truly see it, <laughs> then we begin to see through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And, and so when Jesus says, beware of man, he is giving an absolute prophetic divine insight into the heart of man. There is no gullibility. There is no they mean their best. They're just trying the best they can. <laughs> he says, nope. They are serpent controlled. These are the same men that he looks on with compassion, by the way. And then he closes with, the disciple is not above his master. There is opposition and hatred towards the gospel is self-evident that we should be discouraged in the face of that opposition is not. And isn't that the reality? Don't we get discouraged in the face of the opposition? Maybe even in your own struggle for holiness, do you get discouraged in the face of the spiritual opposition? Do you find moments where you go, this is not worth it anymore? Why am I even trying? I'll fail again. That we should be discouraged in the face of the opposition is not normal. Jesus says there will be opposition. And that opposition is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he says, you're not above your master. The disciple is not above your master. If they call him Satan, then they're going to call you Satan too. It's a promise given to you by the one who was on his way to crucifixion. And it is a promise sustained to you by one who is now ascended, seated, and reigning over all things. And that is where the opposition in myself, the opposition from society, the opposition that is going to be all around me, is placed in its proper context. Jesus says, of course there will be. Of course there will be. Uh, you are walking as my disciples. <laughs> you wake up. <laughs> so with that, uh, let's close in prayer. And then, um, so we do have a, a fellowship time today. And I think in the fellowship time uh, is we're going to be saying goodbye to the Kleins and to the Georges. Ideally, the Georges will be here. Uh, but uh, uh, it is an opportunity for us to say goodbye to these two dear families and uh, wish them well in their journey. So let me uh, close this with prayer. Father, we do thank you that the promise that we have from Jesus Christ is not just that we will suffer with him, 
but also that we will reign with him. Uh, help us, Father, to embrace the one that we may joyfully be assured of the other. In Christ's name.